Every week, Hillsdale College President Larry Arn joins Hugh Hewitt to discuss great books, great men, and great ideas. This is the Hillsdale Dialogues, presented by Hillsdale College. To find more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, and Ricochet. Bonjour, hi Canada. That music means the Hillsdale Dialogue is underway. Now I'm in France. I recorded this with Dr. Arn before I left as part of a series on Aristotle, the ethics, uh, his consideration of friendship. This is the third of three parts on it. The first two parts are over at iTunes under Hillsdale Dialogue. They're collected at Hugh for Hillsdale. Everything that we talk about is available at hillsdale.edu. And if you are like me, you've forgotten a lot of what we've talked about. So luckily, I am like Aristotle. I go back and remind you about what we've talked about, but I have Dr. Arndt to actually do it well. And so the the full discussion of the ethics is available in one of the fine Hillsdale video courses at hillsdale.edu, Hillsdale's ethics course, led by Dr. Arndt and a dozen guinea pigs who wandered into that room looking nice and came out four months later exhausted, tired, and broken, but smarter for it. And at the end, they talk about friendship. We're just going to go right to the end. By the way, do any of those kids still talk to you after that thing? Mm, they're my buds, yeah. <laughs> that was a, that, you know, I told people they should watch that class just to learn what teaching looks like. So many people don't know what teaching looks like, and that's teaching. Well, it's, you know, that's right. It, uh, uh, it's a, a class is a joint effort. Uh, you have to get that through your noggin. And, uh, you know, there are some professors here who, who uh, you know, they, they're just wonderful lecturers. And they stand up in front of the class and they start talking, and they talk for 50 minutes. And they might have some interruptions. There's usually time for discussion later. But everybody just sits and it's like watching a movie. And that's a very good way to do it, right? But I don't do it that way. I can't. I, I don't like it. And, uh, and so... Uh, you you know, first of all, if they yawn, that's a terrible thing, right? <laughs> yes, it you, is. If they yawn, you ask them a question. And, and uh, you know, they, some days everybody's tired, and you say, are we ready to do this today? And then everybody sits up straight, you know, because we got to do it. Uh, yeah, but they, you know, what, and, and the, the, the best kind of question is, what does that mean? Right. We're going to read, you know, we're talking, we're going to talk about friendship today. So we're going to read books eight and nine of the ethics, which are the two books devoted to friendship. There's uh, one book devoted to justice, the only book, the, the first virtue that gets a whole book to itself. But then friendship comes along and gets two. And the implication made explicit is, Friendship is better than justice, and and that's a that's a very important teaching in Aristotle. But you start with, you know, uh, Book Eight, Chapter One. Uh, I'm going to go to it. Uh, While you do that, I'm going to remind my producers to come back with "Love is Stronger Than Justice" because that is the Sting song that fits perfectly. Go ahead, have you found it? Yeah, here it is. All right. Uh, it would follow after these things go through what concerns friendship, since it is a certain kind of virtue, or goes with virtue, 
and it is also most necessary for life. So that's a big statement, right? Uh, and it means what do you need to know to understand the statement? Uh, certain kind of virtue. What's a virtue? In what way is it not the typical kind? In what way does it go along with virtue? There's a hundred questions in there, right? And so a great way to ask those questions is uh, somebody reads sentence one and tells what it means. <laughs> you know? yep. And then that may be the only question you ask in the entire class. And it happened that way. You captured that on the video. Um, it's edited, obviously. Was it a two-hour sit-down every week or three that you did, got down to 25 minutes or 35 minutes? Yeah, it was a couple, I think, yeah. And it was, you know, we just, uh, t you know, you talk. I mean, the way, you know, the way I teach, uh, I, I have a weird life. And so I teach a whole, a whole week in one sitting, either Monday afternoon or Friday afternoon. Uh, I start not earlier than 3 p.m. because classes don't go past 3 p.m. here, typically, because there's extracurricular. You know, there's debate and chess and... Football. Football, yeah, all that. That's, you know, so in other words, the kids, you know, they get time to do other stuff. Uh, uh, so, but I teach only after 3. In other words, I cut into the extracurriculum and... Uh, and that means, really, we can go as long as we want. And, <laughs> and, and you know, we sometimes, it's supposed to end at, uh, what is it? If, it start, if you start at 3, it's supposed to end at 6, uh, five, 5.30, I think. I can never remember. And because there's like some, an hour-long class is really 50 minutes, I think. So, so and it will usually end by the time, but, you know, a third of the time, it just keeps going. Uh, you know, I mean, I've, I can remember some of the best classes I've ever taught. And, and, and uh, I've, you know, it got to be 645. And I said, should we order pizza? And first of all, that's good for its own sake, right? That's yes, kind of that's a good for its own sake, yes. Yeah, it's final <laughs> end. To students. Yeah, let's get the pizza, right? And then we'll go till 9 o'clock. And, uh, and nobody minds that. Uh, you know, that's it's what you go to hoot. college for. You know, I, I, I bedeviled your your show pony, Kyle. I talked to him this week. I said, Kyle, this is so good and we can show it. But I got to edit it a little bit. So some of them are perfectly timed for the Hillsdale dialogue on the radio with the Salem News Channel. And other than them will require three or four minutes to cut. And I said, but I can't cut those three or four. It's like I'm not a surgeon. I don't know how to do this. You've already reduced three hours to 30 minutes. And if I take another blade to it, I'll, I'll dash the operation. So he's undertaking that. You have some smart people around you. But he's very, he's rightly proud of that course. And I, I send everyone to hillsdale.edu. You can listen to it as I did, or you can watch it as many people want to. It's a dialogue. It can be listened to. And you begin to identify, by the way, the students by their voice, which is easy for me. That's what I do. But the average listener will be able to do that. And they have very strong personalities that come through. Yeah, that's a, that, uh, that class is not an actual class that I talk, Todd. It's a sort of a all-stars class. Yes. <laughs> that uh, All but a couple of them had taken the class. And the couple who hadn't, they were, and I didn't even know, I didn't pick them. Uh, uh, they asked students who'd taken the class, who's smartest. 
And so they, they got a bunch of them, and then others pled their way in. And, but they were warned, you know, you're going to have to know this book. You know, how are you going to do that? And uh, they did. They were, there were ringers. There yeah. were ringers. And I have never seen that many collared shirts in a college class or a law school class in a decade. So yeah. they're all dressing up for Mrs. Arn, I think. She must yeah. be around lurking somewhere. Our, our kids dress pretty well. Uh, they, and we don't really have rules about that unless they're real slobs. And I just say straighten up or somebody does. But the only annoyance, I don't let them wear baseball caps in class. And I'm trying to stop them from wearing them in the dining hall. And if I go around and tell them, and I do sometimes walk around and tell them to take their cap off, they do. It's always boys. Girls don't have to do it, see, in, according to the rules of etiquette. And, and, uh, and then, you'll, you know, if, if you suspect that they're worried about their hair, that's a tremendous opportunity. It's an advantage. <laughs> oh, it's, 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 it's the high ground and you're on defense. Uh, let, let, me, let me quickly bring back people to... Aristotle, we're going to come back to the three kinds of friendship right after the break, and we'll review the first two in the section two and three. Three and four will do uh, the highest kind. But I noted at the end of Cicero, which I've been preparing for next week already, virtue is the best thing, Lelia says at the end, but it, next to it is friendship. So virtue is, is everything, but, but is Cicero completely derivative of Aristotle? Mm, well, no, but significantly. I mean, I, 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 it's, if you imagine Cicero alive, he would speak only in reverence of Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. Yes. Uh, and he's different from them, remember, because he's, there's something about him that's a parallel to Winston Churchill. He's oh, a yes. statesman. He's a statesman. And, and he speaks and, uh, like a statesman. And he writes like a statesman. He's an amazing guy, but... Uh, Aristotle was no, no stranger to politics either. When we come back, we will pick up the two kinds of friendship that precede the best kind, remind you of that, and then move on to the final book of Aristotle's Ethics on Friendship. Not the final book of the ethics, but the final book of the ethics on friendship. Don't go anywhere, America, except to hillsdale.edu, and you can find there the course that I'm talking about. You can download it. You can watch it. If you're a high school teacher, you can use eight classes of it in a row, and you have the best course you've done on philosophy, government, and on teaching, and your kids will be enraptured by it. Hillsdale.edu, free for all comers. All you have to do is give them your email, and they don't abuse it. Hillsdale.edu, look for the Aristotle course led by Dr. Arn with his students. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere on to do it. It's the Hillsdale Dialogue. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Normally, that's not Hillsdale dialogue music, but since we're talking about love and friendship being greater than justice, it was appropriate to the time. Dr. Larry Arn is my guest. We're talking about Aristotle's Ethics Part 3 in our three-part series. In the previous week, we covered the first kind of friendship of utility and the second kind of friendship of pleasure. And before we go on to the third kind, the highest kind, Dr. Arn, just to remind people, it's not bad to have friendships of utility. They just vanish. And friendships of pleasure may have a timeline and a purpose as well, but they're not bad things. They're good things. Yeah, and, you know, he says uh, uh, 
Aristotle is seductive when he talks about friendships of pleasure because he mentions young people and yes. what they like. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, that's, uh, and that, uh, that's a good model, right? So why are girls and boys interested in each other? <laughs> well, there's a pleasure that they, they're interested in. But that's not, uh, that's not the end of it, and it can't be. If, it, if it's the end of it, it's insufficient, right? So he later says that uh, in a good marriage, they become friends of the highest kind. And, and, of course, you know, it's a fact. Somebody commented on this to me. I've always been struck by the fact that human beings are the only animals, or primates at least, that make love face-to-face. And... Uh, you know, we're made to look at each other and talk to each other. And so that, that, too, points beyond itself. And that's one reason why friendships of pleasure have a higher standing and a greater durability than friendships of utility. I, I am curious about uh, the young people that you mentor at Hillsdale, um, whether or not they remain lifelong friends. And if the people in that class that we were talking about, if you expect them to still be talking to each other as long as they live. Uh, yeah, the particular ones, it's hard to say, but, uh, one of my favorite things, one of my favorite things is the opening of college. It's like coming to Disneyland, except it's happier. And, uh, and, you know, we get to threaten them and scare the freshmen, and they have an honor code talk, and I give it to them. They all get in the auditorium and talk to them about the honor code, and then they, and it's very serious, and then they leave and sign it, or else they go home. One of my favorite things to say in there is, look around you. You probably are looking at your best friend for the rest of your life, and you are to treat everyone as if they are potentially that. And that's you know that's and that's what we want. See, they all want that. Uh, uh, it's a complicated uh, leaving college until you get a job. There's a million things you got to think about, but very often groups of them are trying to get jobs in the same area so they can keep living together. That is fa- that's amazing. You know, Dr. Arm, when I was in law school, and I know law school better than college, your first friendships are friendships of utility. You form a study group. Otherwise, you'll be overwhelmed by the material in the first year. After you get through your friendship of utility, where you teach each other contracts and crimes, you move to friendships of pleasure, meaning what do we do to have any fun in law schools because it's absolutely soul-destroying monotony for years two and three. And then... You get to the real thing where 30 years later, I'm still hanging out with Tim and John and other friends of mine because that's what happens. Yeah, that's right. And you, you know, if you could see there's when you do valuable things with people, it, it's, it costs, you know, that's, what, that's why war friendships abide. Right. Uh, you know, you suffer and you risk and if you live, you overcome. Well, that's, you just don't forget that because it's formative. And the people you do that with, they're part of you now. Well, uh, the highest kind of friendship involves seeing things, learning things and seeing things, things that are good and beautiful for their own sake and things that you will never forget. And a friend can help you see them better just like they can help you study in law school in the early stages better. And so now you are part of that person and inseparable from that person. 
And iron will sharpen iron for as long as it is iron. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. Dr. Arn and I now talk about friendships of virtue. Don't go anywhere. Part three of the Aristotle Dialogue continues on the Hugh Hewitt Show. Hillsdale Dialogue is underway. Last radio hour of the week. I'll be back next Friday live with Dr. Arn as we begin uh, Cicero. I'll be back in the States. I am uh, abroad, and we taped this early. It's the last segment of our three segments on Aristotle and friendship. All of, all of the Hillsdale Dialogues are available at, at hillsdale.edu. They're available at hughforhillsdale.com. They're available at iTunes. Just type in iTunes and, and Hillsdale Dialogue, and that's actually the easiest because they've got better captions than either of us do. They're better at it for whatever reason over at Apple. Uh, Dr. Arn, let's just give you the floor to set up what we are looking for and how it comes about this highest form of friendship and why we should treasure it and hunt for it and preserve it once we get to it. Okay, we should start with the prerequisites. Uh, uh, Friendship is the fourth thing raised in the ethics as, no, it's the third thing of four raised in the ethics it says it requires the possession of all the other virtues. And, and, uh, and what does that mean? That means that to be a friend of the, of the highest kind, you have to be brave and moderate and just and wise, at least in practical wisdom. But the highest friendship even goes beyond that. And so you have to have all those qualities so that you are in a con- your, your, your soul uh, a great way to uh, Aristotle, a great way to translate the words that Aristotle uses is your active condition. That is to say, the condition of you to which you have committed yourself, and and that radiates all the time from you, and that you never surrender it. Another word for that is character. Oh, I loved your teaching of character to these students about the the genesis of the term. The etch- yeah, you see, that's human freedom is explained in character because he says even if you know you grow up bad you've got terrible influences you get no learning you you know live in a doghouse uh it's 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 also true that you will grow up to make choices and because you have this gift of reason which is what permits us to talk but also permits us to see the good uh, and the good is present in everything that has being, right? And it, it's that, that's not too hard to understand. Just look at anything on the desk in front of you, right? And imagine it crushed, crushed and torn up. It loses the being of the thing that it was as it loses the good of the thing it was. And that's how we're able to use common nouns. And so we have that sense in us, and it actually is what makes us what we are and different from the beast. Well, that, that sense is always with you. And yet, on the other hand, a million other things are with you, too. Uh, if you grow up scrabbling for food and hungry, you might be really quick to steal, and it might not even be wrong to do that. But still, it's true that uh, uh, you can see things and understand things and see them for what they are. And that means this sense of the good is always talking to you. Uh, y- y- you would have to be simply insane 
to think that it's the same thing to kill a pig as it is to kill a human. And and uh, and we, we no, nobody very almost never is anybody so insane. So you have this sense of the good talking to you, alongside what you want and or think you need. And the question is, do you listen to this sense of the good? You don't do it purely because you need things and you really do need them. But does it always have a prior place? And every time you make a choice giving it that prior place, uh, the action is it makes a mark on the soul. That's only a metaphor, by the way, because the soul in Aristotle is immaterial. You can't make a mark on it. But it, it, it is etching or engraving. The word character comes from caressan, which, which means to etch or engrave. Uh, you make a mark. And if you make enough of them, and you make them deep, deep enough, you will develop a constant character. And that character is actually uh, through the, the operation of exercising the virtues in daily life. And it's only somebody who gets a strong character who can be relied upon as a friend. And then the operation of that friendship is to what end to that character? Well, you see, the other thing is, this, uh, you know, in Aristotle, the identification of the human being starts with the phenomenon of speech, which is the same thing as reason. The word for speech and reason in Greek are the same word, logos. Uh, and, and so, just, you know, these things are going on in you, and your rationality, it, it lets you step back from the immediate things in front of you and see what kind of things they are. And that lets you make judgments about their priority and good and bad, right? So that's the faculty. That's what goes on in us. It's different from what goes on in a dog. Uh, now, because whatever you can think, you can say, it means that you can share this human operation inside the soul perfectly, as a matter of fact. You can explain. You can talk, right? And that means... We are made to be together more than any other creatures, more, Aristotle says, than horses or bees. Uh, and so, so, you know, that's, and that means everything we do, right? Uh, it's the reason we get together and make laws. It's, uh, but then uh, the highest kind of friendship takes all of that, you know, and, and it, you know, very high things are done better together. Soldiers are braver together if they're both brave right and and uh and uh workmen work more happily together uh and can be more diligent together right everything is like that but in the case of this understanding you know which you know come to find out understanding is both automatic and difficult and it takes energy by the way that's why the people who say we can learn by plugging something into our ears or brains at night are just, they just don't know, you know, I, I debated a guy one time. I said, how long did it take you to write this speech? He, he made a speech arguing that. <laughs> and he said, uh, it took a couple of hours. I said, were you tired when you were finished? <laughs> <laughs> That's like stepping on a rake. 
<laughs> oh, that's like stepping on a rake. I would not do that debate with Dr. Larry Arn. No, that's a rake. Uh, and some of your kids stepped on the rake, by the way, in the class. I love it when they did that. But then again, they realized the rake had hit them, and they backed up, and they, they recalibrated, and they moved forward. At that the friendship, end- too, by the way. Yes. Because in, in a class, honor is present. Honor, by the way, is a, a, a good and a lower good and an ambivalent good. Uh, and it is for all of us. We think about it for a minute. But the point is, you don't want that to be the operating thing. You want to be able to laugh at each other. And, uh, and, so, and that makes a bond, by the way. So somebody- You know what else? i got to comment on this, Dr. Aaron, is that I don't know about the editing, because I didn't see the raw stuff, but it occasionally sounds and looks like someone is throwing themselves in front of you to preserve their friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, oh, God, Arn's got him down on the map. I'm just going to throw a, a digression in here to get him off of my friend. And that happens in law school, but it really happened in that room a couple of times. Well, and see, that's all, you know, uh, you know, with, with young people, young people are just intense versions of old people. Yes. And, and uh, much more energy. Yeah. And you can, uh, you know, my one of my working hypotheses is proved many times is if they think you love them. You can do anything with them, yeah. right? But, by the way, if they think you're using them, you can't even do them a favor without making them mad. And so, so yeah, in class, you know, one of my favorite things to do is somebody will say something, and, and I'll say, wait, is that stupid? <laughs> <laughs> that is, by the way, bracing and wonderful. I can't do that in law school because with 75 people, I have no way to get back. To the, it, it's okay to be stupid. That's the line, right? That's the response. Yeah. It's okay to be stupid, but just know that it was stupid. Yeah, well, Professor Newman, a great teacher of mine, a, a really great teacher of mine, also a professed nihilist. Uh, he would all he begin every class in his introduction to the class by saying that pride, in the classics, is a virtue, but it's not an intellectual virtue, and so you don't let pride get in the way of asking dumb questions. And, and uh, that's, you know, that, because it has to be like that. They have well, to- I, I have a caution before we go to break. Um, I, I went to a rodeo once and interviewed everyone at the rodeo, and the world's greatest bucking bronco or bucking cow rider was there. You know, they come out of the chute on a cow. And I said, can I, and he's won the most medals, and he's number one uh, cow rider in the world. And I said, I have a, a dumb question. He said, there are no dumb questions. And I said to this greatest cow rider ever, is it harder to ride brown cows or black cows? And he paused. that's a really dumb question. <laughs> so it goes to prove that there are dumb questions. Don't go anywhere. I have a smart question to ask Dr. Ryan in the last segment on Aristotle's friendship about his friends. Stay with us. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Dr. Larry Arn is my guest. Hillsdale Dialogue underway. All things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. This course I've referenced many times. Aristotle's Ethics, available at hillsdale.edu. Absolutely free. It's marvelous. It's really marvelous. You got. It's not up there with the, uh, the courses that they've taught on the founding, but it will be when people realize how magnificent it is. It will be stolen by every high school teacher who wants to teach himself or herself how to teach. Dr. Arn, in the course of that, you mentioned your friend, a friend indeed at Hillsdale, who spoke with you as you were considering whether or not to take the job. 
and you referenced, I've got seven or eight friends. He's one of them. He's still my friend. He's still there. And I am curious, have you lost good friends because of politics? We're going to Cicero next week, and he talks about that unfortunate situation. So you had seven or eight great ones. Have you lost any along the way? Uh, no. Uh, no, I haven't. I mean, I'm, uh, I, you have to remember that my life is not, uh, if you're in politics, did we talk about John Adams and Thomas Thomas Jefferson? We have not. Well, he, they were very close friends, right? And, and at the beginning of the American Revolution, John Adams was a he helped maneuver Thomas Jefferson into being the author of the Declaration of Independence, for because he saw his excellence and because he was from Virginia and Massachusetts was the scene of action in the struggles with the British, and they needed to get help from Virginia. Well, they became very close friends, and they were alike in a lot of ways, you know, classically educated, erudite. Very smart, very smart. Yeah, and, and, and then they fell to fighting for 20 years, right? And then the end of his life, John Adams is sitting around with his friends in, in Brainerd, outside Boston, where he was born, lived, and died. And he said, uh, a friend said, I'm so glad that you and Jefferson are not enemies anymore. And uh, Adams replied, enemies mr jefferson and i have never been enemies it's just that he wanted to be president and i was in the way (laughs) (laughs) so so you see aristotle even says that that can happen right yes in 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 public action well i have not lived a life of public action and uh so i don't have as much opportunity for (laughs) for conflict i guess well now that's an interesting description of your career Mm -hmm. um with which I think many observers might argue a bit mm. uh, that public action need not be on the public stage, but there's certainly been conflict involved. You run a college, after all, and you sit on found You're, I always say, the most important conservative nobody knows about who isn't in the conservative movement. And there's friction there, isn't there? There has to be friction there. Yeah. Uh, there's, you know, there's, of course, always. And uh, there's not a lot these days. There's some. But in the beginning, there was huge friction. It was a war, you know, because I'm new, and I wanted to, and, you know, the old guy had been very powerful, and he left in a scandal, and so his enemies felt stronger, and his friends felt embarrassed. And how, how am I going to change the college, right? And, you know, I fancy that I have changed it. <laughs> Yes. And I'm and I meant to. Although how? I said right from the start. I said, you know, I don't know anything. I don't know nearly as much as you all know about my predecessor. And I, one of my favorite things to say was I don't know what he did, but it's not going to happen again. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, That's a great way to dismiss the subject and also provide reassurance. Yeah, and then I I, but you uh, still got to break some glass and pull a few alarms. That's right. And see, I thought, you know, you can't win. See, this is very in, in, uh, latent in the whole discussion of friendship. It's not about each other, right? It's about something you both love. And, and so I thought that the way to be a, 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 the head of anything, and I did learn this from Winston Churchill and Aristotle, who take exactly the same view of it, is that I, you know, it, it, 
what you do when you take over any institution, colleges are the worst, is you, if you want to be inclusive and you want to rope everybody in to what you want to do, you have a mission writing exercise. And then everybody's supposed to feel invested because we all got to comment on the mission. And I think that's just silly. I don't know. Oh, you and that. David Mamet, yeah. denier of the word stakeholder, is having any relevance to anything ever. That's right. It's just, uh, uh, what was it, uh, the great Mark Tapscott, who was the editor of the Washington Examiner, used to have a style sheet he would send to authors. And it said, we do not use the word stakeholders. Use words that mean the same thing. Toad eaters. <laughs> <laughs> Risk seekers. <laughs> uh, okay, we're going to come back around under the guise of Cicero. We will complete the conversation next week. Dr. Larry Arndt is the president of Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. Thanks for listening to the Hillsdale Dialogues presented by Hillsdale College. For more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, or Ricochet. For more information about Hillsdale College, head to hillsdale.edu.